for the price of run to start the hour. Uh, the Fun Boy 3. No, wasn't it? It was... Um, our lips are sealed, anyway. It was the Fun Boy 3, sorry. Uh, their version of the Go-Go's Our Lips are Sealed, which I actually think is better than the original. And a Banana Rama with Trick of the Nights. Uh, 16 minutes past eight. I was going to talk about inflation in the last hour. I am now... Uh, if you're feeling nervous, have you noticed the price of everything going up? Well, the UK announced a headline inflation rate of 5.4% in December, and meaning people are going to have to dig deeper into their pockets to pay for items uh, they buy each week. There is a crumb of comfort to be found, though. It's that the inflationary squeeze on our ability to spend won't be as big as in the 1970s or in the years of the global financial crisis. I'm old enough to remember the 1970s, and it was pretty grim. <laughs> uh, the speed of the recent increase in inflation has been breathtaking. At the start of the year, CPI inflation was just 0.7%, but by December it had shot up to 5.4%. Uh, the rise has been driven by increases in food price inflation from minus 0.9% to 4.5%, fuel inflation from minus 8.2% to 26.8%, uh, utility price inflation from minus 8.5% to 22.7%, and second-hand car inflation from 7.8% to 28.6%. Yeah, the second-hand car dealers are loving it, aren't they? Uh, the forecast is that a 50% increase in Ofgem's utility price cap on the 1st of April will drive up overall CPI inflation to over 7% in the UK this April. Thank goodness we're in France, where it's all capped. Uh, what is particularly worrying is that so while households can choose not to buy a second-hand car, they have to buy food, fuel and utilities, so loss of the surge in inflation can't be avoided. They say they don't have to buy a second-hand car, but what if your car packs up and you need a new one? Uh, but what really matters is how fast prices are rising relative to the wages uh, that are on offer. And not much cheer on offer there, as wages rose by 3.5% in the year to November. The 5.1% increase in prices meant the real wages fell by 1.6%. So wages aren't stretching as far as they did. And the forecast is that real wage growth will fall to minus 2.5% in April, will remain negative all year, and the level of wages will decline by 3.5% from peak to trough. Yeah, I mean, I can't have I, yeah, well, I've certainly noticed it at the pumps, I and mean, it's very expensive to fill up with gas now. Uh, food shopping, well, not so much, because I'm, I'm afraid I'm one of those shoppers who just goes around and piles all the stuff in the trolley without looking at the price and then sees what the damage is afterwards. So it probably has gone up, but, uh, hmm. Riviera Radio. Business. Morning. Good morning. How are we today? It's a really nice morning there from you, isn't it? <laughs> Yeah, thinking of moving to the West Country. Yes, can see you down there. You yeah. do very well. I am a cider drinker, etc., etc. What, what would you like to talk about then? How about well, pass... in the name go of God's go? <laughs> yeah, it was. Uh, I'm sure you. I thought of you actually when when I was. I had that on in the background while I was working away yesterday. Oh, I was loving there it. was some. Um, there was some devastating lines yesterday, and uh, certainly David Davis uh, delivering another uh, important blow, but not a blow. It has to be said, somewhat of a bruising encounter. We had, of course, the walking across the aisle of uh, the Conservative MP to join the Labour ranks, uh, Labour ranks, which uh, set the tone for for the session yesterday. I suppose the positive side is there's not enough letters yet to trigger that uh, leadership contest. Positive and for Boris who? Johnson was able to stand up in Parliament and to uh, <laughs> talk about the 
the developments of the pandemic, the relaxation of of some of the restrictions. So, you know, he, he survived, and perhaps that the, was the number one aim yesterday. Positive for who? Well, positive for Boris Johnson. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's, he's a dead man walking, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, for somebody who doesn't like to, to, to get involved in politics, you do seem to know quite a lot about it. Well, you know, I, I follow it as, as an amateur, of course, and uh, nothing more than he that. He certainly came out feisting, though, didn't he? I mean, he was, um, you know... He yeah, I thought, when, when you look at that TV interview a couple of days ago, he sort of looked a little bit forlorn. He sort of came across as a, a broken man, which isn't something you sort of associate with Boris Johnson. Yesterday, he had a bit of his mojo back. He, he seemed to be yeah, trying to tackle his way through, which... Uh, which I think he probably needed to project, even if he doesn't believe it. Well, despite all the fans fighting talk, and I obviously won't be asking you to comment, uh, I, I thought that most of it was absolute gobbledygook, but uh, that's just between you, me and the bike shed. Very true, very true. Right, markets. Uh, Wall Street continued to slide yesterday. Higher Treasury yields, tightening monetary policy. They're not happy. Yeah, another volatile day for global equity markets. U.S. stocks fell towards the lows of the day at the end of the trading session. Another choppy day as a day of trading. As investors assess the outlook for earnings growth and the pace of policy normalisation. S&P 500 was down 1% at the close. NASDAQ was down 1.1%. In fact, falling into correction territory, which means it's down more than 10% from the November high. Investors have been concerned around the faster pace of policy normalisation, as I say, but also rising costs infringing upon corporate profitability and ongoing economic disruption from Omicron as well. That has been offset a little bit. The earnings projections still remain positive and there are signs investors are prepared to try and take advantage of some of these dips and come in and buy the market. We are looking at a brighter start on the European bourses this morning. Currently calling the FTSE up 15 points. DAX over in Frankfurt up 9 points. Catcoran and Paris also up nine points. You sound like you're on a police radio this morning. I can hear you in the background as you're speaking. Have you got something turned up which shouldn't be? No, I don't think so. I think there's a lot of reverberation, but let's let's see if we can battle through. OK, right. Um, let's have a word about uh, inflation and oil prices. Headline UK inflation yesterday rising to its highest level for 30 years. The forecast was it was going to get as high as sort of for 10 years, but uh, it's not looking good. And a lot of that's been driven by the price of oil, isn't it? Yeah, uh, UK inflation we spoke about yesterday hitting 5.4%, which is ahead of forecasts and expected to continue to rise as energy prices continue to rise. Oil touched its highest level since October 2014, <coughs> excuse me, yesterday. Brent trading above $88 a barrel. Remember that compares to the average of $70 a barrel during the course of 2021. Geopolitical tensions playing its part there, of course. You've got the standoff between the West and Russia over Ukraine. We had those attacks on Abu Dhabi earlier in the week. We've also seen a recovery in demand, of course, coming through from the pandemic. Supply still remains constrained. OPEC have been officially slowly adding back production. But a number of its members we've been talking about have been struggling to meet those new production targets. Supply was also disrupted earlier this week by an explosion which took out a crude pipeline between Iraq and Turkey. We heard from the International Energy Agency yesterday and they've been reporting a tighter market and said that demand was proving resilient to Omicron. 
particularly when it comes to stockpiles, this was the interesting element of their report, saying they've been falling rapidly, stating that stockpiles are down by more than a billion barrels since the peak in May 2020. In terms of the impact on inflation expectations, in some ways you could argue they're overdone. Crude prices have to rise well above $100 a barrel, probably closer to $120 a barrel, and stay there during the course of this year in order to be a positive driver of inflation given the year-on-year comparisons and the the strong rise that we saw during the course of last year. So uh, yes, it's been high oil prices. It does infringe upon, of course, um, consumer costs in terms of filling up their cars, the key cost to businesses as well, and particularly countries that are importing oil. It poses a problem to them. But in terms of an out-and-out driver of inflation, one would suspect, as I say, it's probably a little bit overdone. Tension uh, ratcheting up between uh, Russia and the United States. I mean, what's going to happen to the oil price if uh, if Russia does invade Ukraine? I mean, uh, presumably the Americans will slap sanctions, including a ban on oil exporting. Yeah, it was an interesting press conference from President Biden yesterday. It was a little bit hard to decipher exactly the message that he was trying to deliver, talking about the type and the scale of the incursion that Russia does having consequences and and how that could be worked out as they was a little bit difficult to truly understand but in some ways you could argue it was walked back a little bit by the White House after the press conference talking about as you say the potential for aggressive sanctions to be put in place if Russia was to go for a full invasion of Ukraine as they describe it so um, yeah certainly plenty of geopolitical tensions out there that have the potential to disrupt energy markets and in turn the global economy. Putin must be laughing into his Smirnoff for those comments by Biden yesterday. I think the best thing you can say about Joe Biden is he's not Donald Trump. (laughs) That's for you to say and not me. (laughs) All right, foreign exchanges, please. Pound against dollar coming in at 136 this morning. Euro dollar coming in at 113 and a half. Going to get one euro 20 cents for your British pound this morning. Another political minefield safely negotiated. Just about. Let's hope we get back to markets tomorrow. Okay, talk to you then. Bye. Uh, Hank Potts and Barclays. On FM and DAB Plus across the Côte d'Azur, on your phone and worldwide online. This is Riviera Radio with the latest local news for the south of France. I'm Rob Harrison with the top stories across the Riviera. A police officer is being held in custody following a fatal shooting in the centre of Nice on Wednesday. Shots were heard in the Rue de la Buffa shortly before lunchtime during a police operation during which a 22-year-old man was fatally wounded and later died. The reports say that the police rushed to a local pharmacy to get a defibrillator in an attempt to save the man as he died at around 12.30. The Nice state prosecutor says the fatal shooting happened during a botched police operation. Xavier Bonhomme says that the police operation was being carried out in connection with the murder of a man in the Las Planas area of Nice on Christmas Eve. He said that several suspects had been arrested and that the officer in custody is being held on suspicion of voluntary homicide. No weapon was found on the body of the dead suspects. French health experts say a bronchiolitis epidemic, which has been affecting the country in recent weeks, appears to have peaked, but the cases of flu are continuing to grow. Numbers of young children, mostly under the age of two, receiving hospital treatment at A&E departments across France, fell last week, but cases of flu are increasing markedly in some regions, including the Provence-Alpes-Côte d'Azur. Bronchiolitis, which is highly contagious, causes breathing difficulties for young infants and leads to painful coughing. 
In most cases, children make a full and rapid recovery, but some require hospital treatments, including oxygen. Flu cases, although rising, are not anywhere near what might be normal for the time of year, in part due to the success of mask wearing and other coronavirus restrictions. The French actor Gaspard Huliel has died following a skiing accident at Le Rosier in the Savoie. Gendarmes say that Mr Huliel, who was 37, was critically injured after colliding with another skier and was taken to hospital in Grenoble where he died from severe brain trauma. An investigation has been started into the exact circumstances of the accident. Gaspard Huliel was first recognised as a rising star of French cinema in 2005 after appearing alongside Emmanuel Berthe in the film Les Égards. He won the César Award for Best Male Acting Hope and for Best Actor in a Film in 2017 and had also been gaining international recognition. He'll be appearing in Marvel's new TV series Moon Knight and had a stack of other acting projects in the pipeline. The left-wing politician Arnaud Montebourg has announced that he's pulling out of the French presidential election contest. Mr Montebourg, who was only being given about 1% of the first-round vote, said he was pulling out to reduce the confusing number of left-wing candidates who are standing in the election. Mr Montebourg refused to back any of the remaining candidates and maintained his policies are the right programme for the country. Five candidates from the left remain in the contest, but progressive politics in France is in serious decline and it's doubtful whether any of them will make the second round runoff, which most polls suggest will be contested between Emmanuel Macron and either Marine Le Pen or the Republican Party candidate Valérie Pécresse. A well-known well local homeless man has been found dead in Roquebrune Cap Martin. Authorities say the man who's been cared for by the French Red Cross in Monton was discovered dead near the Victoria roundabouts on the promenade de Cap Martin. Many local people knew the dead man who was called Luigi but was known as Merci Merci because he always said thank you when he was given money or food. He died from a suspected heart attack. And the 2022 World Rally Championship gets underway today with the Monte Carlo first round taking place until Sunday. Hybrid vehicles are taking part this year as the FIA aims for the sports to be carbon neutral by 2030. Sebastian Auger of France is the world champion and has eight titles to his name, but there could be some surprises as hybrid electric powertrains come to the fore on the new Rally 1 cars. Organisers are warning spectators to keep well back from the action as there's increased danger in the event of a crash or other incidents due to the high-voltage electric currents generated by the cars. There are 17 stages in this year's Monte Carlo rally, starting this evening around the Col de Turini. The course around Lusram, Lantosque, Le Boulain, Vesubi and Moulinet will be driven in the darkness on unforgiving mountain roads. Riviera Radio, Sports News. Tennis, it's day four of the Australian Open in Melbourne and Britain's Dan Evans is into the third round after his second round opponent's Arthur Rindeneck was uh, forced to withdraw with a wrist injury. Diego Schwartzman of Argentina is out. He was beaten in straight sets by the home favourite Christopher O'Connell while the All-American clash between Taylor Fritz and Francis Tiafo ended in a straight sets win for Fritz. In the women's events, Britain's Heather Watson is out, beaten in straight sets by Tamara Zizansek of Slovenia, while Sammy Stozer of Australia was beaten by Anastasia Pavlachenkova of Russia's 6-2-6-2. Uh, to come a little bit later, Andy Murray for his second-round match, and Emma Raducanu is in action later as well. Football, there were two games in the English Premier League last night. Here are the details from BBC Sports. 
BBC Premier League update from the home of Premier League football. Hello, I'm Andy Barwell at the BBC Sports Centre. An extraordinary Premier League game played at the King Power Stadium. Leicester City were leading Tottenham Hotspur 2-1 going into added time, but Spurs finished 3-2 winners. Stephen Bergwijn scoring on 95 and 97 minutes. Leicester boss Brendan Rodgers couldn't believe what happened. We're disappointed. We obviously the two to concede the equaliser. You know, there was a couple of duels there. If we win them, then the game's over. But we didn't. They end up getting the equaliser. That's that's something then from that there moment. You've got to then take your take your point. And uh, to then lose the game was uh, yeah, it was it was all on us. We, we can have no complaints. We we give up three goals tonight for Tottenham. So Spurs are fifth in the Premier League table, just a point outside the top four. Manchester United are in seventh spot, a further point back after winning 3-1 at Brentford. Correspondent John Murray was there. Manchester United equalled their biggest margin of victory yet under Ralph Rangnick's management. For Brentford, it was a third consecutive defeat, but it could, perhaps should, have been very different. If Brentford had taken half of their chances in the first 45 minutes when United were poor, it might have been a very different story. But they regrouped at the break, and two goals in eight minutes from Elanga and Greenwood swung at United's way. Substitute Rashford made it 3-0, not long after a mini-strop by Ronaldo when he was taken off and Ivan Tony's late goal back for Brentford came too late for them. And the Premier League are looking into changing their guidance around postponement of matches that could take effect from next month. It follows 22 matches being called off due to a combination of COVID cases, injuries and international call-ups. For more football news from the BBC, go to bbc.com slash football. BBC Premier League update from the home of Premier League football. Yeah, Spurs catching up. Uh, they've got some games in hand on Chelsea, so maybe Antonio Conte is going to start working his magic. Uh, two games in the English Championship. Hull beats uh, Blackburn 2-0 and Reading lost 2-0 home to Luton Town. The second leg of the English League Cup semi-final between Arsenal and Liverpool is being played tonight. The scores are tied at 0-0 after the first leg. And in Rugby Union, the England coach Eddie Jones says that fly-half Marcus Smith could have a big future, but he'll need the guiding hand of Owen Farrell. Jones says that Smith will need Farrell to run the game for him, adding that every brilliant 10 in the game has been accompanied by a stable 12. Farrell has been named as captain for the Six Nations, with no place for George Ford. And Michael Lowry and Mac Hansen have been named in Ireland's Six Nations squad. Both backs are uncapped but have been impressive form for Connacht and Ulster respectively. And the Scotland coach Gregor Townsend says that informed players and improved depth will give his squad a big opportunity to challenge for the Six Nations title. There are five uncapped players in the 39-man squad with Cameron Redpath returning from long-term injury but no places for Adam Hastings, Hugh Jones, Sean Maitland or George Horn. Townsend says he thinks that Scotland has a really strong squad. We will see. Here's the marine weather forecast for coastal areas up to 20 miles offshore the Almaritim and the VAR. The general situation is high pressure, 1,030 to 1,035 millibars over Spain and southwestern France. Our winds are variable, force 1 to 3. The sea is calm, visibility is good. Barometric pressure at Saint Jean Cap Ferrand, 1,027 millibars. And the outlook for Friday, clear skies, force 1 to 3 variable winds, calm seas and good visibility. 
For North Corsica, winds are southwesterly, force 3 to 5, the sea is slight to moderate, visibility is good, barometric pressure at Cap Corse, 1,028 millibars, and the outlook for Friday, clear skies, force 1 to 3, variable winds, calm seas, and good visibility. Riviera Radio, weather. More normal service weather-wise, clear skies, light to moderate variable winds, temperatures 12 to 14 degrees, overnight lows 4 to 7 degrees with clear skies. Friday and the stars of the weekend, clear skies with highs of 10 to 14 degrees. And finally, said not having anything ready whatsoever. Let's see what I've got in my box of tricks here. Oh, no, you don't want news about inflation, do you? That's something different. Oh, yeah, here's something interesting. Novak Djokovic has a majority stake in a Danish biotech firm attempting to develop a treatment for COVID-19. The world number one is currently back in Belgrade after he was deported from Australia after failing to gain a visa to enter the country for the Australian Open. Quant Bio-Res... Uh, has revealed that the tennis player's acquisition of the 80% stake was made in June of last year, but declined to say how much it was. The company is developing a peptide which inhibits the coronavirus from infecting the human cell and expects to launch clinical trials in Britain this summer. Uh, the firm has stressed it's working on a treatment and not a vaccine. Uh, the CEO said the company had about a dozen researchers working in Denmark, Australia and Slovenia. According to the Danish company Register, Djokovic and his wife Jelena own 408 and 39.2% of the company respectively. Very interesting.